Welcome to the Ubuntu Nutrition Podcast with your host, Patrick McCarthy. Pa. This is the second time recording this podcast today. This is part two of a two-part series where we'll discuss some optimal evidence-based strategies for sustainable weight loss. So sit back, relax, and listen up. is episode three and part two of a two-part series that I started last week. So just before we dive in, I'm sorry again about the raspy voice. I don't know what the fuck it is, but it seems in the mornings when I wake up, I have this raspiness to my voice. So maybe I'll have to start recording in the evenings. But then in the evenings, you know, your mind is bait from the day and you're tired so you might have to sacrifice some of my clear and concise speech for just an improved audio or in the words of blind boy fidelity audio fidelity anyway just want to say first thank you so much for everyone listening sharing and just providing feedback i've actually had so much feedback for the amount of listeners which is just unreal So I did receive one really good piece of advice and that was just make sure you're continually remembering to refer back to the overall topic of the podcast when you find yourself down in one of these rabbit holes and I thought that was excellent, excellent advice. So I definitely will try to do that in the future. Okay, so today's topic is practical strategies for best offsetting, not preventing or avoiding, but for offsetting the metabolic adaptation that comes with weight loss in order to achieve sustainable weight loss and keep that weight off. Initially, what I was going to do was present these strategies with one or two little studies in between. However, it kind of occurred to me that this would come across as cherry picking because I would just pick a study or two to present with each strategy. So what I'm actually going to do is I'm just going to present them mechanistically. So the basis, the physiology of how they work, these strategies. And in future podcasts, I'll probably dive into each strategy. Like I'll devote one whole podcast to each one and we'll go through the evidence in a way that's very, very understandable. And hopefully I'll have a few guests to do that with. So I'm actually not really going to discuss any studies in detail at all today. It's just going to be a very basic, plain and simple approach. Okay? So thank you so much for tuning in and let's get going. Just before we get right into the strategies, there is a really important point I just want to hammer home. And that is the fact that these are not in any way hacks. So if you follow me on Instagram, you'll have seen some of my infographics that I post, which are strategies or tips for a certain goal. Now, they might seem like they're shortcuts or hacks, but they're not. If you actually read the description, there's always a very detailed, you know, explanation of each one with, you know, theoretical underpinning and 
an evidence-based, we'll say, to a degree, explanation. So I think it's really important here when we're talking about weight loss and establishing a healthy weight for the foreseeable future and, you know, life. Hacks aren't going to get you there. You know, hacks might get you there in the short term, but they're not going to keep you there, we'll say. Okay, so everybody can lose weight and everybody can lose weight very quickly. However, right now, the trouble is with maintaining that weight. If you are unable to establish a set of sustainable, enjoyable, and practical habits and routines, you're not going to be able to stay at this weight. And that is, that's what I'm going to try to really shed some light on here. Okay, I think we're finally ready to get started. So if you listened last week, you will know that before diving into any recommendations or content podcast, I'm going to try to provide or lay out a rationale for the topic I'll discuss that day. And the importance of this is there's absolutely no point in discussing a topic or giving recommendations towards a topic or a problem that doesn't exist. So I feel like I don't have to do that in this episode because part one was essentially an entire episode dedicated to the rationale and the fact that this metabolic adaptation occurs when you induce a caloric deficit. So just real quick for in case you didn't listen to episode one and you're just here for the tips. First off, I do recommend you going back and listening because it will give you that knowledge base so that you'll kind of you'll have the context atop which to apply these practical strategies. But just as a quick summation, when you adopt a caloric deficit, especially one of an aggressive nature, your body will undergo several adaptations, some short term and some in the long term, in response to both this caloric or energy deficit, as well as lost weight. And this is to do everything in its power to prevent you from losing that energy. Because our bodies are brilliant machines that are used to living in the wilderness where we might go a week without food. When we consume more energy than we need on that particular day, our body is internally saying, fuck yeah. Put that right there on the hips and leave this for later when we're out running a mountain lion for the next week. Our bodies don't know now that we're in 2020 and the most work we need to exert to get a meal is to tap the finger on just eat and type in your credit card details. If you look at the change that has occurred in the last hundred years with regard to our, you know, food environment or an obesogenic environment, the change has been dramatic, you know, from our grandparents or great grandparents time. But then if you look at a hundred years in the context of evolutionary adaptation where our body could adapt to this high food availability it's nothing 100 years is nothing you know so that's why our bodies probably still exert this kind of adaptation to caloric deficits or lost weight so basically when you adopt a caloric deficit or lose weight your body will slow your metabolic rate and your energy expenditure down to try and slow that weight loss and of course, nowadays, if you're overweight or you're just trying to lose a few extra pounds or you're obese, this can be a real fucker, right? It can be a real spanner in the works. So today, I'm going to discuss some strategies that will hopefully help to offset this metabolic adaptation. First off, number one is to be prepared for this slowing, for this increased hunger, for this reduced energy expenditure. So I feel like if you have listened to part one, you've already taken the first step in 
preparation. So I know I gave that example of the lecture I went to in the first year of the master's where that very famous researcher outlined this problem. And this was the first time I had ever heard of it. I had actually never, ever heard of this idea of metabolic adaptation. And so I was sitting in that lecture, dumbfounded. And I was, and you know, I gave that, I gave the kind of caveat of, I raised my hand in front of the whole lecture. There was like a hundred people in there. And I asked, so what do you recommend? And he looked at me and he kind of giggled and he just said, well, don't put on excessive amounts of weight in the first place. And that just did not sit with me. So I went up and I picked his brain after one to one. And he gave me a bunch of kind of ideas about the research that's going on in the novel exploratory research in the area. But this is what I'm trying to hammer home here is that with that knowledge now that this occurs, you're much better prepared to approach a weight loss phase, you know, because when that hunger comes in, you know, a week or two weeks into the diet or the weight loss slows, you'll know what's going on. You won't think, oh, fuck, well, I just can't lose weight. So I'm just going to go back to normal. You'll be like, hey, this is part of the process. Trust the process. That's the empowerment that just a small bit of knowledge can have. And that's exactly why I'm doing this podcast. And I put the content on my Instagram because just with a basic level of knowledge, you can prepare and be ready for these challenges. Okay, so that is the first one, and that is just be prepared and ready for this metabolic slowing, we'll say. Next is to aim for 15 pounds lost, not in a month, but in six months or a year or two years. So basically what I'm trying to say here is strategize for the long term. Don't prioritize weight loss in a month. And it's a perfect time now because we're coming to the end of the summer. It's going to be another year before you're having to take your top off on them two days that it's sunny in Ireland. Or if you're an American listener, you know, you'll have to wait till next summer again. So don't worry about trying to lose a lot of weight in a very short time. These podcasts that I put in the show notes last week, and I'll put them in again this week. All three of these researchers who have done the majority of their work in this area hammered the fact home that the faster you implement an aggressive caloric deficit or you lose a substantial or considerable amount of weight, the more extreme the adaptation is going to be. So just conceptualize that now for a second. The more aggressive and short-term your caloric deficit or weight loss is, the more extreme the adaptation is going to be. And we know this adaptation basically will do everything in its power to prevent future or further weight loss or even maintenance of weight lost. Okay, so what you want to do is you want to try and lose weight nice and gradually, progressively, almost without your body knowing it. Okay, so in that way, and that will bring us to our second tip, trying to diet or lose weight on as many calories as possible. And I didn't make that up. That is literally coined from Lane Norton. And he was on a podcast called the We Do Science Podcast with uh, another researcher called Abby Smith. And he basically said the main tip that he has provided his clients is to diet on as many calories as possible. That might be paradigm shifting for you. In previous diets, I know I've taken literally the polar opposite approach of diet on as little calories as possible. How low can I go without basically feeling fucked? You know what I mean? 
can I consume a thousand calories for next week, you know, and still do out my daily work and exercise? If I can, that'll be perfect. That'll be a thousand calorie deficit every single day. Oh, but Pat, you're forgetting the slowing, the metabolic adaptation. The second tip is, or the third tip, so we have be prepared, aim for the long term, not the short term. And the third is diet on as many calories as possible. I'll just kind of lay out a common scenario here. An individual, say we go into lockdown, an individual gains, we'll say 10, 12, 15 pounds. And it's primarily body fat because, you know, the gyms were closed. It was tough to do home workouts. I know I fucking hated home workouts. And maybe a lot of other people did. Some loved it and they excelled. I hate them. I need to be in a gym environment. But anyway, I regress or I digress. I'm trying to put in fancy words. So the scenario is an individual gains this weight. They feel very self-conscious. They're low. They're anxious. They don't want to go back into public because they think everybody's looking at them and judging them, even though everybody's just worried about themselves, which is so important to understand. And so they're, they're heading back to work in two weeks. Okay, for two weeks, I'm going to lock down. I'm going to restrict everything. I'm going to go as low as I can go, as I mentioned earlier, only to induce a very aggressive slowing. And then you're going into work, trudging into work with very little water or gain weight lost. You're retaining water, so it actually doesn't look like you've lost any body fat, even though you probably have, and you just feel shit. Instead, what about two weeks? You lost a small bit. You're not as stressed because you're like, hey, I'm not trying to lose it in two weeks. I'm trying to lose it by next Christmas. Understand the fact that people don't care because they're worried about themselves. And then you'll be able to practice this over the long term. Okay. And one tip I'm going to give later is food tracking and not for the long term, not every day for life. Nobody is going to be able to use a smartphone basically because smartphones aren't going to exist in the future. But you're not going to be able to track your food every day for the rest of your life. Okay. So it's not a sustainable approach. If you have a coach that tells you to track every single day for the foreseeable future, just, I would recommend questioning that and saying, what's the point in this? I always recommend a two to three day food tracking because you will be shocked how easy it is to get into a calorie deficit by just tracking foods and actually altering portion sizes. So, I would say for the majority of people listening, you won't have to cut out any foods, okay? Unless you're someone who's eating three takeaways a day. You won't have to cut out any foods. All you'll have to do is cut down the portion sizes, right? And so just by implementing a 200 to 300 calorie deficit each day, which is actually a lot easier, especially when you factor in some exercise, which I'll come to, you can induce a caloric, a caloric deficit. And you know, you hold that two to 300 calorie deficit over a month, and that will lead to weight loss and it'll offset this adaptation so you'll give yourself the best opportunity. And this weight loss can then continue. So basically, you're trying to, to diet without letting your body know or without it going into this shock response of, oh fuck, we're losing energy. Slow everything down. Next, prioritize protein. All right. If you follow me on Instagram, you'll be sick of hearing this tip for especially weight loss or even, you know, muscle gain, but it's so important, people. It's so important. So there's 
a number of reasons. And there's actually a lot of research behind this high protein diets for weight loss. Now, the majority of research that I've read doesn't show that it will increase weight loss much more than, you know, a normal, we'll say moderate protein intake when the diets are matched for calories. However, it'll lead to more of this weight loss as fat rather than muscle. And that's really important because as you go on, you want more muscle to keep your energy expenditure high. Okay, so the number one reason we keep protein high is, just as I mentioned, to maintain your muscle mass. And muscle mass is known as, or muscle tissue is known as metabolically active tissue. And it actually burns energy just by being there. Okay, so it requires energy whereas fat tissue just stores energy. So the more muscle you have, the more you're going to burn throughout the day, just at rest. And that is why, as I mentioned, strength training, which is actually the next strategy, is often one of the first steps in a weight loss regime, to the surprise of many, because they don't want to get bulky, quote unquote. Okay, so the next reason is protein is a very satiating nutrient. It takes a long time to digest, and it'll actually keep you fuller for a lot longer. And there's many studies to show this. So all they do here in these studies is they have high protein diets versus low protein diets or even high protein meals versus low protein meals. And they just get subjects to rate their appetite levels after the meal. And consistently it has been shown that high protein and they, and they have, you know, four hours after or even six hours after. And they've consistently shown that the meals or eating patterns higher in protein leads to higher fullness ratings. And obviously this is going to help you because we know that when you diet, you're just your baseline hunger levels will increase. Okay. So that hormone I mentioned, ghrelin will increase to try and urge you to keep consuming food, to make up that energy gap that you've cut out, keeping yourself full and keeping your appetite kind of regulated is very important. Protein can help with this. And then finally, protein is very important because it actually burns more energy to just simply digest. And this is known as the thermic effect of food. And it's one of the components of your overall energy expenditure, which is the amount of calories you'll burn in a day. So protein actually requires a lot of energy to burn. Now, it's not going to be 500 calories in a day if you eat a high protein diet. You're not going to burn 500 calories just digesting but you will, you know, I think it's been shown to maybe increase it between 50 and 100 calories a day. Okay, and hey, it's contributing to your goal. So keep protein high for the satiety, to maintain muscle mass, and because it will increase the thermic effect of food, which is the energy you burn just digesting food. Now, just quickly, some recommendations. If you look up any official documents from like the European Food Safety Authority, They'll always say it's 0.83 grams per kg of body mass. That, that's how much protein you should eat a day. However, we know that that's just for survival. And if you're someone that's completely inactive, I would recommend at least 1.2 grams per kg of body weight. If you're quite active or just regularly active, recreationally active, we'll say, between 1.2 and 1.6 grams per day. And obviously, I give a range here to know where you are on that range if you're regularly active quite often, you're at the higher end. And if you're regularly active, you know, two to three times a week, then you're probably at the lower end. And then if you're a high level athlete, and especially if you're trying to cut weight, 
you're aiming for 1.6 to 2 point grams per kg. Why don't I just give you a recommendation for your percentage of energy intake as protein? If you are adopting a calorically deficit, or caloric deficit, apologies, and I give you a percentage of energy intake as protein, it's going to undershoot your protein needs. You know what I mean? Because your diet's on a deficit and we want to keep protein high. So that's why you calculate it as a function of your body weight. Okay, so if I say 1.2 grams per kg, you just multiply 1.2. For me, example, I'm 85. I don't know what that maths is, but you just multiply it by your weight. To keep it easy, try to get one to two palm sizes of protein, of lean protein in each meal. And that's it. Okay, if you're someone who doesn't want to do the maths and you're not that serious about, you know, increasing lean mass, or maybe you just don't have time. Sorry, I shouldn't say you're not as serious, but maybe you just don't have time. Just aim for one to two palm sizes of lean protein each meal. So, so far, we have be prepared for this metabolic adaptation. Aim for weight loss over the long term, not the short term. Diet on as many calories as possible. And number four, prioritize protein. Okay, so the next one is strength train. Right, so keeping protein high isn't enough to increase lean mass. You need a stimulus. And what do I mean by stimulus? You need something to activate that muscle to grow. And that is strength training. When you strength train, you induce a process called hypertrophy, which is basically how your muscles will increase in size. Okay, your muscle fibers will increase in size. And to do that, they're not just going to do that by getting constant protein. They're going to do that by getting broken down through strength training and then recruiting that higher protein intake and increasing. So just strength training uh, two to three times a week. I would definitely recommend if you are new to it, reaching out to a coach. You know, there's very affordable coaches now and just make sure they're a certified strength and conditioning coach. And in that way, they'll have insurance. And there's some fantastic coaches. If you don't know where to start, send me a message. I did sports science as an undergraduate degree and I have a fairly good foundational knowledge. I don't, I don't coach or anything like that, but I'm happy to answer any questions or refer you to some coaches that I recommend because I have a couple. Combining the stimulus with the high protein intake is way better than just the stimulus or just the high protein. And just a quick caveat before I move on, I actually did approach that lecturer after that revelational lecture that I mentioned and I picked his brain and I said, come on, that can't be it. I said, there has to be some other research going on. And he said, yeah, we're looking into some kind of exploratory avenues. But I guess what the new kind of line of thinking is that combining resistance training, regular resistance training with a high protein diet can offset this metabolic adaptation to some degree. And that's what he said when you're, when you're adopting an energy deficit. Because we know when you do diet or lose weight, some of this weight loss, it won't all be from body fat. Your muscle will contribute to this, okay? Your muscle will break down, provide amino acids, which can undergo a process and actually can be used as energy. I'm sorry if I'm going into the weeds now. I'm going to finish these last two points and I'm going to see where I am and maybe I'll do a third part with tips for getting into a caloric deficit because I do have three questions I have to answer as well. Okay, so the next one is a refeed. Okay, so refeeds. And these are very, very different concepts to cheat meals. All right, so a cheat meal is traditionally having a big, dirty, quote-unquote, greasy, high-fat, probably fast-food meal. And, you know, the line of thinking is shock your metabolism so that it doesn't get damaged. 
and there's so many things wrong with that statement. And I've, I've done it so much in the past. For years, I used to do cheat meals because that was before my nutritional journey, we'll say. But basically, the evidence shows that a cheat meal isn't enough. One meal isn't enough to blunt the metabolic adaptation or the downregulation in your metabolic rate. There's actually a really good study by, I can't remember who it is by, but Alan Aragon, he reviewed it. And basically, it showed that the only benefit a cheat meal gives is it increases the thermic effect of food, which, remember what I said, it's just the energy you burn digesting it. However, that increased thermic effect of food was, you know, between 50 and 100 calories. But the, in- the energy surplus was two to 3,000 calories that day. So it's, you know, you took 100 calories away, you got 100 calories benefit, but you fucking, you had 19 or 2,900 calorie surplus that day. So it's majoring in the minors. What I'm trying to say here is one cheat meal is not enough. A refeed is for a short period of time of between three to five days, depending on how long you've been in your diet, is increased in calories. And I would just say from the research I've read and the reviews I've read, just to your maintenance. If you reach out to me, I'll give you what your maintenance calories are calculated, or you can go to you know online calculators, just be careful which ones you use, and you can calculate what your maintenance is right now. And that is to stay at the body weight you are right now. Okay, and then you adopt, we'll say, so say if you have a maintenance of 2,500 calories, and you adopt a 300 calorie deficit to 2,200, or even you're at 2,000 calories, we'll say, and you hold that for three to four weeks, a refeed would be you returning to that 2,500 calories for three to five days to basically provide an, an increased energy to your body so that it doesn't realize it's, it needs to go into this survival mode. And that's just as plainly as I can put it. Okay, So basically your body's like, oh, no, no, we have plenty of food. We're good. We don't have to slow everything down. And if you regularly do this refeed period, your body develops this kind of system where it's just like, oh no, we're good, we're good. This is only a short-term, you know, deficit. Now, if you need to make up two to three hundred calories, it's recommended that you make that up with carbohydrates. Okay, so if you're returning to maintenance and you're doing a refeed period, you should make the majority up primarily from carbohydrates, unless you're not consuming enough protein. Okay, so that is assuming your protein level is already moderate to high you're getting your needs for whatever strength training you're doing or just regular training. And why do we make this up with carbohydrates? Well, this article by Eric Trexler, where he reviewed some studies, it's excellent. I'll link it in the show notes, but he basically highlighted some studies where carbohydrates are essential for obviously restoring your muscle stores of glycogen. And glycogen is your storage form of carbohydrates, but also for helping to increase those hormonal levels. So the main one is leptin, and we know leptin is the most important hormone that is reduced when we're losing weight or restricting energy. And one study even showed that just by a small refeed period that increased, I think it was, was it one day of a refeed with high carbohydrates? Uh, Leptin was improved by 23%. Okay, so I'll link that study as well, along with Eric's fantastic article. It's actually like a handbook. And it just goes through all the science and all the research. Okay, so I definitely recommend that and it'll be in my show notes. But it can also uh, increase thyroid hormone. And we know thyroid hormone is 
one of the primary regulators of your metabolic rate. So by increasing leptin and increasing thyroid hormone, you'll increase your metabolism and you'll offset this downregulation. So basically this whole tip to summarize is for a three to five day period, potentially returning to your base on calories, not returning to four to 5,000 calories, not doubling your caloric intake, because then the energy surplus is going to be much more than the benefit you're going to get or the upregulation in your metabolic rate. You know what I'm saying? So while you might restore your metabolic rate, we'll say, the energy surplus will be way more. And so you'll just be defeating the purpose. Okay, so just returning to maintenance and making up this surplus in primarily carbohydrates. Then there's this idea of reverse dieting. And this is just like a little sub point where this was coined, I'm pretty sure, by Lane Norton. And he has actually a free, I think it's free, detailed, comprehensive guide. And I think he sells an ebook on it where basically, and it's, it's usually for contest athletes who, you know, they're getting to a really low amount of body fat, but it can also be applied to the general public where basically you go down to your deficit, you hold that, you lose a substantial amount of weight, and then you slowly return or increase your caloric intake so as to increase your energy expenditure. And, you know, you build that back up and then you go back down, you go back up, you know, but that just obviously takes a lot more attention and resources. So that'll be its own podcast. Hopefully maybe in the future, I'll get the big man on, but he's excellent. Lane Norton, go check out his stuff. I'll link him and I linked him last week. Last is get used to the new baseline. If you lose weight, you're, you have a new baseline energy need, which is lower than what you've been consuming regularly in the past. It's as simple as this. You will need to consume less for the rest of your life. Right? So instead of approaching weight loss as I'm going to go into this weight loss phase for just a couple of weeks and then go back to normal. What's normal? Your normal might be that diet amount. If you take my recommendation and just institute a one to 200 calorie deficit, so say if you're, you have a 2,500 calorie need right now, your maintenance, and you lose some weight, your new maintenance might be what you're dieting at at 2,300 calories. And you have to get used to that. Okay, you have to get used to the idea that you have to stay at that. And that's your new energy need because you've lost weight. All right? Our energy needs are based on our current body weight. And heavier people, so when you have morbidly obese people, they actually have maintenance of upwards of 3,500 to 4,000 calories because that is technically to maintain their current body weight. And their body can stay at the same weight while they're intaking 3,500 to 4,000 calories. And that's very, very interesting, I think. Getting used to the new baseline. And that's the idea of establishing habits and strategies rather than using shortcuts. It should all be long-term. And I do have one last point here, sorry. Okay, so let me just run through them. Be prepared. For the metabolic adaptation, aim for the long-term weight loss, not short-term. Number three, diet on as many calories as possible. Number four, prioritize protein. Number five, strength train regularly or just start strength training. Number six, refeeds. Implement a moderate refeed period. Number seven, get used to this new baseline. And then lastly, reduce your stress levels. I gave you the example last week of cortisol and cortisol is one of the hormones, your stress hormones, and that's raised when you're chronically stressed. 
And so while stress, acute stress, getting a fright will actually reduce your hunger levels, like you're not thinking about hunger when you're sprinting away from the guards or I don't know why I use that example. I don't have first-hand experience of that, I promise. But sprinting away from someone chasing you, you're not going to be hungry in that moment. But when you're chronically stressed about fucking hell, why am I today losing weight even though I'm dieting? That's chronic stress and that can lead to high levels of cortisol and cortisol does the opposite of leptin. Okay, so if you're dieting, your leptin is already reduced, which is slowing everything down and making you more hungry. And then cortisol is increased, which just exacerbates this effect. But also, cortisol will increase water retention. In that podcast, Lyle McDonald on Sigma Nutrition, he said, you can have water retention lasting 12 weeks. And so what you often have is these individuals coming in saying, I, I can't lose weight, this is insane. But they're just so stressed that they're retaining water and they're actually losing body fat, but it doesn't look like it. And this just leads to them dropping out and going back to normal, we'll say, and you know, they don't go back to it. Okay, so relax, take your weekends, have a nice Saturday, have a few beers, have a nice takeaway, enjoy yourself. And don't stress. I'm going to see what time we're at. I don't really know, but I think it's definitely near 40 minutes. So I'm going to do a part three leads with strategies for getting into a caloric deficit. Okay, because I literally have, I have about eight or nine tips for this as well, I think. That's going to be part three. I apologize for talking too much on here. I'm just going to answer the three Q&As that I got, that I chose. So each week I'm going to put a question box on my Instagram. If you don't follow me, it's at Ubuntu Nutrition. And for each topic, I'll ask you to give some questions. So all three this week are anonymous, which is grand out. Um, and it's probably going to be the case usually because, you know, it's a very, we'll say, intimate topic. Well, intimate? Jesus, I don't know if that's the right word. But it's a topic that some people are conscious about and they don't want to be, they don't want to be publicly asking questions. So that's perfect. You know, just put in brackets, if you're asking me a question, anonymous. So this one is optimal meal frequency for weight loss. Are there different strengths and weaknesses of eating, say, three meals and snacks, one big meal a day, or five to six meals? Okay, now this is a fantastic question. So from the research that I've looked at, which isn't extensive by any means, metabolic stoking isn't really a thing. Okay, so this is a big one I've definitely heard in the past. My younger self definitely believed that eating a meal every one to two hours would keep your metabolism high. And in that way, say intermittent fasting would have been viewed as suboptimal because you're going for extended periods without eating. But the research does not support the idea that eating more frequently will increase your metabolic rate. So if you are eating more smaller meals in the hopes of upregulating your metabolic rate, it's not really going to help. The main determinant is really the actual day-long energy intake. If you are someone who enjoys having five to six smaller meals, this might be better for you instead of you know two to three big large meals or even one huge meal however for those people that are eating five to six small meals i would make sure you know how much energy you're consuming in those meals because if you are eating five to six meals and you're adding sauces and you're cooking with oils and you're not measuring your portions it might be easier to get into a surplus rather than eating two to three meals just because of the amount of meals and now with meal frequency just a real quick consideration is with muscle maintenance and building muscle it may come into play. Okay, so if you're eating one to two meals a day 
and they're few and far between and you're strength training regularly and you're on a caloric deficit it might not be optimal for building muscle okay because your muscle is constantly turning over and muscle turnover is basically a balance a harmonious balance i fucked that up between breakdown and build up and we need amino acids in the blood to build it up so if you're fasting for extended periods of time and you're strength training and you're in a deficit you know and you don't have these freely available amino acids your muscle buildup might not be to the level of those that are eating three meals or five meals that are high in protein just because they don't have the amount of circulating amino acids in the blood to provide to the muscle that is just one consideration and i'm not 100 percent informed on the research i have looked at one or two studies that just did show that potentially consuming more high protein meals would be better for maintaining and increasing muscle mass while in a diet yeah it's just one consideration but that wasn't the question the question was for weight loss and just to summarize no meal frequency won't have a huge effect to the best of my knowledge as long as you're regulating energy intake overall the next question is fasting so i kind of touched on that here on it here but again if you have one person fasting intermittent fasting we'll say or time restricted feeding where they're eating between 12 and 6 p.m and then you have another person eating throughout the day three square meals and a couple snacks they're both consuming the exact same amount of calories they're both doing the exact same amount of energy the science says that weight loss won't be better in either okay and that's pretty consistent right now now fasting for some people can actually help them get into an energy deficit a lot easier because they're having less meals and it's just less times where they can over or underestimate their portion sizes and that's big for me because when i have a meal you know i add some sauces i cook with oil i probably have more than one portion of carbs so if i eat one to two meals i have less chance of exceeding my energy needs but if i have three or four meals that's three or four times that i probably overest or underestimate my energy needs or my food portions so fasting can be beneficial for those people however if you're someone that you know you wake up in the morning and between 8 to 12 when your window opens you're thinking about food you can't even work because you're like fuck oh geez i really want to eat i can't wait for 12 and then at night just as your window's closing you stuff your face because you know you're not gonna be able to eat for the next few hours fasting is not an appropriate strategy for you okay and it's just different people different mindsets try and adopt a strategy that best suits your needs and there's nothing wrong with not being able to do intermittent fasting if it's if it's not optimal just leave it off the third question is how to get back into a diet slash training routine after being out for a long time and this is an absolutely fantastic question so my main tip would be to start very small and don't try to make drastic changes so if you look at it like a bar chart okay we'll say the magnitude of change is on your x-axis x-axis and your ability to adhere is on the y-axis the further you go out on the x-axis the lower it'll be on the y-axis so the more extreme the magnitude of changes you implement the less time you'll be able to maintain them you know what i mean so i would say start very small and one tip i give to a lot of people i work with is to measure success as the small wins and not as a long-term 
black and white goal. So did you eat three to four portions of veg today? Did you drink eight glasses of water? Did you go to bed quite content with your dietary habits? They're, they're great wins. And if you can do that over a few days, each night you're going to bed feeling good that you've succeeded in what you wanted to do that day, your ability to keep going will be so much more than having this long-term goal in the future of six weeks, I need to be down five pounds. You step onto the scale, you're down four pounds, you feel like shit. Even though you, you lost four pounds and you feel great, this is something I stand behind and I really, really, really support. Micro wins, small, small habits. And that's it. That is today. I think I was, I'm very, very, we'll say, emotionally invested in this topic. I've worked with so many people that have struggled with weight loss. And over the years, I've learned some really fascinating things. I've struggled with it myself. And so I'm really, really empathetic to this area. If you have any questions at all, please, please reach out. Next episode, which is going to be part three, I don't even care that it's ad hoc that I'm adding in episode three. But episode three will be how to get into a caloric deficit, some practical strategies. I'll take some Q&As for that as well. So just DM me a Q&A and then in brackets put anonymous or non-anonymous. And that is it. I hope I have provided you with some knowledge and thank you so much for listening. As always, please, please, please give this a share in your story. Give it a rating. If you're on Spotify or Apple or not Spotify, if you're on Apple, just scroll down to the bottom and hit five or four or three or two or one star and just leave a review if you can. Tell me what I need to do better. Okay? Thank you so much, everyone. Have a fantastic week. And just before you go, all the resources and show notes are available at the link in the podcast description. Have a fantastic day, and don't forget to leave a rating and review. Peace.